What's up? Welcome to Bow Down, the teaching ministry of Pastor Chris Tress. Amen. How are you guys doing this morning? Amen. You guys get get me this morning. Amen. I hope that's that's okay with you. And uh, we're going to uh, be talking about Philly today. We're going to be talking about Philly. Yeah, yeah, no, 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 no. Not that Philly, okay? We're going to be talking about, where's that other slide? We're going to be talking about the church in Philadelphia, okay? I was going to put a cheesesteak up there, but I, I didn't know if some of y'all were going to get that. And I, I want to get invited back, you know, to, to speak, so... Um, yeah, we're going to be talking about Philadelphia today. <clears throat> Y'all ready for that? <clears throat> Revelations chapter 3, verse 7 through 13. If you turn there. And as you turn there, Father, um, again, I just come before you asking that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Posture our hearts and our minds to receive everything you have for us today. And I pray that you will remove every distraction. I pray that our hearts will be ready and attentive with a spirit of expectation like a child to receive, Lord, from you. Father, I pray that you would speak. Lord, we welcome you here in your manifest presence. Holy Spirit, we invite you in to do whatever you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so it's a beautiful journey. It's a beautiful journey we've been on so far um, with the revelation of Jesus. And this morning, if you need, if you need a Bible, you, you didn't come with one, just raise your hand. One of the ushers will get, get one of those to you. Um, and so this revelation of Jesus, this journey that we've been on has been beautiful. I want to call it that, right, because we hear it over and over again, the book of Revelation, the book of Revelation, the book of, ooh, the book of Revelation, ooh, the book of Revelation. And so it's the revelation of Jesus in this journey that we've been on. We're able to see in this book, we're able to see it from an entirely different perspective, right? We understand it differently when we look at it as the revelation of Jesus, when we look at it as Jesus coming back for his bride. Amen? You're his bride. And so he's coming back for you. Uh, we look at it as Jesus confronting everything said he, he, he will confront. And, you know, he's confronting some people. He's going to be confronting some things, amen, throughout this book. And then uh, he finally gives an opportunity to everyone in this world who has not turned back from him, uh, to him to come back to him. And it is an awesome partnership between Jesus and his bride and the biggest evangelistic mission that you will see ever in your life as, as they partner together to be able to receive as many as, as we receive him. We're going to be tackling those things in the book of Revelation. When, when the bowls of judgment are being poured out, the bowls of judgment, it's not like, oh, yeah, get him, Jesus, get him. It's not that. It's not that at all. It is more Jesus saying, I love you so much. Turn back to me. Turn back to me. I love you so much. I mean, even after he pours out one of the bowls, it says, and they still did not repent. His heart posture was, I want you to repent and come back to me. Chapter 1 is the revelation that sets the course of the entire book. So I want to set a couple of little foundations here for the future as we go through this book. And we're already six churches in. 
that Revelation chapter 1 is the foundation for everything that we're going to be reading and learning and studying and journaling through the book of Revelation. It's about his glory and majesty. Amen? As you go through the book and journal, if it gets a little too heavy for you, a little too overwhelming, maybe a little bit too graphic, go back to chapter 1 and see that he is the one that walks amongst the lampstand. He's walking among us. Go back and he's the one that in Revelation 1.4 says grace to you and peace from him who is, who was, and who is to come. This is the journey that we're on in the revelation of Jesus. So, a couple of things that we see in the book of Revelation. Just a couple of things. The, the Messiah is delivering us from within. He is doing a self-inventory of our hearts and of our works. And you may say, well, works are outer. No, works are, are an outflow. Amen? Works are an outflow of what's happening in your life because there is a grace and a mercy and a kindness that has been poured upon your life. And you and I know that we don't deserve it. And it's so good and so rich that it overwhelms us. And from that place, we say, Lord, I want to do something for you. Amen? So he's coming back. And I mean, in this revelation, we see that he's delivering us from within. Um, he's also delivering his bride in righteousness and justice. He's delivering his bride in righteousness and in justice. And so for some of, you, uh, some, for some of us that have been praying for justice in certain areas and certain things and certain climates and certain um, postures, and we've been praying for justice, I want you to know there, there's justice that you will not see on this side of eternity. You will see that justice when Jesus comes back, but you may not see it right now on this side of eternity. Don't forget, there's men and women, grandmas and grandpas and great-grandmas and great-grandpas who have been praying for the same justice that you and I have been praying. And all we're doing is sowing tears and sowing tears and sowing tears. And that answer may not come until Jesus comes back. And that's something that we have to accept. But when he comes back, he's coming to deliver his bride in righteousness and in justice. And the Messiah is delivering us from without. And what does that mean? He is coming once and for all to destroy sin. Man, I should have got you guys. You guys should have been cheering. Confetti should have been flying everywhere. Super excited that he is coming back to destroy sin once and for all. Man, can't stand sin. It's not an easy walk for us, amen? It's a daily battle to die to this flesh and its sinful desires. He's coming back for that. What are some practical ways to read this book? Read it individually. Individually. Self-inventory. What is God saying to you and how is your heart? As you read this book, read it individually. Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing? What is happening in my heart? What are you trying here? What are you highlighting here? What are you speaking to me here? Read it historically. Okay, I'm going to go quick. I'm, I'm, I've never been to college, but I'm going to be like a professor in college. I'm going to be giving you, I hope you're taking notes, amen? So read it historically. Have proper context. What was happening? What did the prophet say? How does this link up with this? If you read it historically, you're going to have proper context. Read it universally. There is some real world implications in the book of Revelation that is going to affect 
where we live and where we at in real time. And then read it from an eschatological application. Forgive me if I, if I put too many vowels or syllables in that word. But when you read it from that place, what is the role of the bride? What is our identity, really? Because sometimes we, pre- we preach from this book, we teach from this book, and it's about, yeah, come back and get them all. Give to them what they deserve. And that is not the heart posture of Jesus through the entire book. There are things that have to happen, but his posture is for as many to come back and to turn to him, to turn to him. What do we find in the, in the letters? What are we finding in these letters? We're six letters in, into the churches. The revelation of Jesus, who he is, right? In every line, in every word, in every period, in every sentence, in every paragraph, Jesus should be highlighted to us. We see an affirmation. There's an affirmation happening. You're doing this well. I see you. This is amazing. You're doing this well. There's a correction. There's a discipline. And let me just pause here for a minute and say correction and discipline does not mean God's rejection. Amen? Correction and discipline means God's kindness. Just nod at me and be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not nodding. Not nod at me. Be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, you got, you're getting a little Pentecostal today because that's how I grew up. Amen? And so, and so there's a correction, a discipline that happens, but that's God's kindness towards you. There's an exhortation. This is, this is how I need you to respond. This is how I need you to respond, church. And he calls us to respond in two ways over and over again, over and over again. Keep my word and repent. Keep my word and repent. Keep my word and repent. And finally, his promises. There are about 18 or so different rewards that you can identify in the letters to the churches. Rewards. Why do we teach, why do we teach sometimes against rewards? We, we do it with our children. Amen? Right? And so rewards are good. It is a, it is, it, it, it is a, a motivation. It is a promise. It is something to look to. How many of us have ever been let down? Promises that were given. You're going to Disney and you never go to Disney. I'm going to buy you this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be at your game. Come on now. And your parents never showed up. I played baseball all my life. Not all my life, but, you know, until I was a teenager. I played baseball as a, as a teenager. And not once did my mom or my dad or anyone in my family ever came to watch me play. But Jesus gives promises. And they're yes and amen to those that love him, to those that believe. And he's never quit on you. And he's never let you down. And he's always showed up. And he never said he was going to do something and didn't do it. He means what he says. He says what he means. Can I hear somebody say Amen. So we went through Ephesus, right? We went through Smyrna and Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis. And here we are in Philadelphia. Revelations 3. Revelations 3, verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia writes, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. 
Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn. Somebody say, you're going to learn today. And they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from God out of heaven. And my own new name, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Verse 7, Philadelphia. That's what we're talking about here, right? Two words, phileo, which is love, and Adelphus, which is brother, and that's where you get brotherly love, right? And Stephen and, and Nick, come up real quick. Come up, come up real quick, real quick. Come up, come up, come up. Come on, brother. Let's go. Come up here. Because you look good, man. You, you got that urban youth impact. I'm going to stand up. They're taller than me, so I'm going to stand up here. And this is quick. This is quick. But this is not, this is not, this is not. Here, here, hold this right here. Hold this for me. This is not, this is not. Come by here, my Lord. Come by here. This, this, thank you, guys. This is not that. This is not a whole bunch of dudes and sisters sitting around and we just love Jesus, tippy-toeing through the tulips, just loving life. Brotherly love does not mean the absence of conflict. How many of us have siblings? Ooh. Ooh. There's some big brothers in here that are like, oh, if mom would just let me. And there's some little brothers that be like, I get away with it all the time. Yeah, I know who you are, little brothers. I know who you are, right? Brotherly love doesn't mean the, act, the absence of conflict. Conflict will come. It is necessary. It is sanctifying. God will use it to produce maturity. It reveals what really is in your heart already. It reveals our need for Jesus. How long did Cain hate Abel? As long as he was able. Conflict will be among us all the time, and it is necessary. <laughs> Romans 12, 9 and 10. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Affection. I want all the men in here to say affection. Affection. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. You guys kind of get the difference between me and Pastor Chris, right? He waits for you to turn there. He reads it. I'm, 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 this, is, this is PBA stuff. I'm going, coming in like that professor you don't like that gives you a whole bunch of, you better be ready. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing. Everybody say nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. Listen, if, you, if you're giving 
something to someone, if you are if you are pouring out into somebody's life and you are doing it for some type of benefit or you're expecting something in return, stop it. It is freely given, right? So it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind, this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to talk about the posture that Jesus took as the, as the son of God, as the king of kings and the Lord of lords, who became man, took a human form for us and became a servant. And he's saying, this mind is already in you. Somebody say amen. Say it's in me. It's in me. Say it's in me. It's in me. It's in you already. It's in you already to have brotherly love, to outdo one another in honor. It's in you already to consider others better than yourselves. It is in you to have a brotherly affection. It is in you already because it is in Christ Jesus. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3 to 4. We are always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. It's increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith and all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So this church is enduring some persecutions and afflictions that you and I cannot even begin to imagine. I mean, I got to give you I got to give you examples like this. Our persecution is, you know, we think mass is invading our freedom. And we complain about that. And we complain about what the government's doing. And we complain about taxes. And these people were being slaughtered for their faith. And it says that in the midst of their persecution and trial, their brotherly love for one another increased. It increased. That's the Church of Philadelphia. Church of brotherly love. It encourages me as I look out about on church and see the growth that has happened here over the past few couple years. And as I see that, I see people from different streams and different, different rivers, right? Pastor Chris was talking about different denominations, but people that God has brought here. And, 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 and listen, we, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, we, we're worried about, like, should we dance? Should we jump? Should we speak in tongues? Should we not speak in tongues? When do we speak in tongues? Should I pray? Should I not pray? Should I pray in the closet? Should I pray outside the closet? Should I pray out loud? Should I pray out loud? Should we play music during the preaching? Should we not pray music? We're trying to figure those little things out. All that conflict that happens in the church. And I look at our church. And how we're honoring one another and loving one another and respecting one another and being able to minister to one another no matter what river or stream or tribe or flock we came from because we have it in us, right? We have it in us. So Revelations chapter 7, as we continue to read there, church in Philadelphia, the words of the Holy One and the True One. He's the holy one, and he's the true one. Holy, that means he's sacred, he's pure, he's blameless. He's identifying himself. This book is the revelation of who? Jesus. He's the holy one. He's sacred, he's pure, he's blameless. Pure means real. He's genuine. He is true. One who cannot lie. He's the credible one. 
the one that can be counted on, the reliable one, a reminder that this is a revelation about him. I am the one walking among the lampstands. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Philadelphia was a city that was a Greek outpost so that the Greeks can expand their culture and they can expand their language and their economy. And in the midst of this city, Jesus is speaking to his church and he says, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. And he's telling them, that's who I am. Everything. Everybody say everything. Everything is sustained in me, Jesus is saying to them. Everything is sustained in me. That's what he's saying to them here as he identifies himself. This is who's speaking to you. This is who's writing this letter. This is what this revelation is about. And thousands of years later, as we read it, Jesus is saying, I am still holy. I am still pure. I am still him. I am still that God. In verse 7, as we continue to read, it says that he has the key of David who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one opens. It is a straight reference to Isaiah chapter 22, verse 20 through 23. Isaiah 22, verse 20 through 23. In that day I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him. And will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and no one shall shut. And he shall shut and no one shall open. And I will fasten him like a peg in a secure place. And he will become a throne of honor to his father's house. This reference that Jesus has the key of David. It is a straight reference of his authority of his favor that comes from the father upon himself to his bride. Come on now. From the father to himself upon his bride. Think about it for a minute. The people that are reading this only had partial of what we have today. They had the Old Testament to go off of. Right? Certain things weren't even written yet. God have mercy on us. That we have the entire account from Genesis to Revelation. And they believed with only partial. With only partial. So this is a, a reference. Jesus is saying, I have the authority. I open and no one shuts. I shuts and no one opens. I have the key of David. There's no other rulers after me. All those other ones were partial, but I am forever. And this is the one who walks among us. Revelation chapter 8 says, I know, uh, chapter 3 verse 8 says, I know your works. Everybody say, everybody say, he knows. He knows, he knows. Say it again, he knows, he knows. He knows, he knows your works. <laughs> that word works means deeds. That word works means moral conduct. He knows your moral conduct. We, sometimes we don't talk about this because we, we identify that with behavior modification. No, it's moral conduct. It's an outflow. If, it, 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 listen, if, if, if there is not a, your outflow of your relationship with Jesus will show what your intimacy with him looks like. And if there is a lack of outflow, there is a lack of intimacy. And what's coming out will show what your intimacy looks like. 
Because no man, no man, as we read through Revelation, as we read in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, any man who came face to face with even a portion of what Jesus looked like fell dead before him. Because they couldn't handle it. And when you are spending time with Jesus, when there is an intimacy with Jesus, there is an outflow. There's something that happens within us. So there's a moral conduct, the deeds, what God requires of us. The Bible says in verse 8 that he knows. Now, the second part of verse 8, it says, Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. So I want to give you a couple of ideas, just a couple of ideas into what these open doors look like in this verse. Okay? And there could be more, uh, but these are just a couple. The first open door that Jesus is talking about here that he gives us is the open door of himself. Right? Because Jesus is... The door, right? It's an open door of himself. God's forgiveness and grace, an open door to his forgiveness and to his grace. In order to attain his forgiveness and his grace, you have to go through. Man, am I the only one here today? You have to go through who? Jesus. You have to go through Jesus. Right? We established that in my house a long time ago when my kids were kids. If you want something, you have to go through Papa first. You have to come to me. You ain't going to mom and manipulating the situation. And mommy, you coming to dad first, and dad will say yes or no, and then let mommy come and try to convince me. Amen? He's the door to the sheepfold. Let me give you a reference first. God's grace and forgiveness. Jesus is the door. Ephesians 1, 7 through 14. He's also the door to the sheepfold. The sheepfold means that the sheep are safe. They're safe. John 10, 7 through 9. He's the door to the, to the presence of God because Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Hebrews 9. And because he is the door to forgiveness, and he is the door to grace, and he is the door to safety, and he is the door to the presence of God, that means that door is open for everyone. So today you may be here and you say, man, I, I, just, I just don't know if I've, I, I just don't know about Jesus. I, I, I don't know about my relationship with him. Maybe you've been backsliding a little bit, right? Maybe you've been backsliding. It's a biblical word. Maybe you've been backsliding a little bit. And you're, and you're checking yourself and you're saying, I just don't know. He said, I'm the door. I'm the door. Come. Walk through me. Walk through me. Today is the day of salvation. Today. So if you throw that chart up there for, for um, the timelines, the second idea that I want to give you about the open door is, you see here, Philadelphia, in this timeline, was, there was a missionary movement happening. And the reason for this is because it was a very popular trade route that was happening right through Philadelphia. And so that means there was a lot of people coming in and out and through that city. And it was a door of opportunity, right? It was a door for a harvest of souls. It was a door to be able to thrive in a city with favor and resources. It was a busy trade route. It was good for the economy. It was good for the church and the Christians who had businesses and who were working in the marketplace. It was a door for cultural influence. 
impacting the culture around them with the kingdom culture. These are doors of opportunity. 1 Corinthians 16.9. 1 Corinthians 16.9, talking about Ephesus. Paul says here, there's an open door. There's an open door to what is happening here in Ephesus. Colossians chapter 4, verse 3 to 4. There's an open door to declare the word of God in that particular city at that time Paul was talking about. And finally, in Acts 14.28. There was an open door to the Gentiles. Open doors of opportunity that God gives to the church of Philadelphia and that God is still giving to us today. Open doors of opportunity to be able to make an impact. Now, if you turn with me to Luke 24, I want to read that a little bit. Read through that a little bit. Luke 24. We get here to the, the road to Emmaus. And if you never knew this, it is the greatest the greatest Bible study of all time. The greatest Bible study of all time. So these two men are walking on the road to Emmaus. They're talking about what just happened with the events of Jesus and the death and the crucifixion. And Jesus just shows up on the scene, starts walking with them. Man, I haven't walked like that in years. I remember I used to walk like that be like, ah! I can't even walk like that no more. There's so much conviction in my heart. I waddle now like a penguin, but, you know, I love penguins. I love penguins. Um, the greatest Bible study ever, Luke 24. And Jesus says, hey, hey, what are you guys talking about? Tell me about it. Tell me about it. And they start telling Jesus. And in verse 24, I mean, in chapter 24, verse 25, Jesus says this. Let me find it here. He says, oh, foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning, get this, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things <laughs> concerning himself. We're not, we're not talking about is he talking about revelation here? Is he talking? No, he's talking about he's talking about the prophets. He's talking about all, the, the Old Testament, and he is bringing them a clinic on this is who I was here, and this is ah, and you thought that was Moses, but that wasn't Moses. That was me, and he's just bringing this clinic, and this is not even revelation. What he's given us, this precious book that he's given us today to behold him, because we are what we behold. So in verse 28, so they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is toward evening and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, he blessed it, he broke it, gave it to them. Whew. Their eyes were open. They recognized him. And he vanished in their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? Oh, man, what a challenge for us today. Bow down. What a challenge 
for us today. What a prayer for us to incorporate into our person and say, Lord, I want to burn. I want to burn like these men burn. As I dive into your word, as I read about you, I want to burn like they burn. Jesus made a cultural impact here, a kingdom impact here on the road. As you're on the road, as I'm on the road, what impact are we making? You have an opportunity to do that in the marketplace, in your children's schools. Some of us don't even know what a, what a, what a, what a, what a, what do you call them now? Are they still called um, the, 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 the school meetings for the kids? PTA? Get in the PTA meeting. God has called you to be a light. Especially if you're not serving nowhere else. What an awesome mission field to be able to share the light and invite parents into a relationship with Jesus where they can parent kids better with a different option of Christ in their lives. And it may take a few years, but man, PTA meetings through middle school and through high school, what relationships you can build. You can open up the scriptures so that people's hearts can burn. Beautiful doors of opportunity that the Lord has given us. I'm so self-conscious since COVID, right? I lick my finger and I'm like, people are not going to want to come up for prayer afterwards. I'm just all over. But yeah, for years we sat in mail rooms licking envelopes, right? Now, Amen. Praise God. Listen, I want to challenge you here. I don't, I don't have time to evangelize. I don't have time to be missional. Why? I have kids. I, I'm married. Take your family with you. Take your family with you. Take your kids with you. I was talking to Ovi not too long ago, and he, he oversees our parking lot ministry, and Ovi was like, man, I wanted to do something recreationally with me and my son. I, you know, I wanted to do something health-wise, and my son loves, loves longboarding, so I started going longboarding with him in this little park that's far away from my house up in Royal Palm. And before you know it, there's a Christian community there that's ministering to these kids on skateboards. And now me and my son are bonding. And not only are we bonding, but we're ministering to kids through Bible studies in some place up in Royal Palm. Take your families with you. There's a door of opportunity. So as we dive into Revelation uh, chapter 3, verse 8, and we go back there, it says here, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you a door, and a door. And then if you skip down, it says, I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. You have little power. They were small in number, small in resources, small in finances, small in lighting, small in smoke machines. Listen, I'm not saying that they're bad. I'm not saying that they're bad. It would be cool to have some smoke machines up here one day and do some stuff. I've done some stuff with smoke machines, man. I've seen great things with these tools. But listen, we don't have that. But he was with them in favor. And he's with us in favor. God gives us favor. We have opportunity after opportunity from, from, from someone in housing in West Palm Beach that has, says, I want you to do what you're doing in Twin Lakes. I want, to, I want you to do it in five, six, seven, eight other properties. 
The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. There's opportunity. And so they were with little power, but a lot of favor. Their authority in the spirit trumped the power of opposition. That's why a 150-pound referee has authority over a 245-pound linebacker. This term, little power, can be better understood when we look at what's happening in verses 9 through 11. So when you look at verses 9 through 11, it says here, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your, before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you because you have kept my word about patient endurance. I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one will seize your crown. So there were Jews here that were trying to convince the Christian population here, the disciples here, trying to convince them that Jesus was born out of wedlock. And they were trying to get them back into that, into that doctrine, into that teaching. And, and, they, and, and, and they furthermore did this by saying, you are, you're, not, you're not God's people. You don't belong to the synagogue. And, and causing doubt in them. And then there was a group of, Jew, of people that said they were Jews, but they weren't. They were just trying to take advantage of them so they can persecute this church. It wasn't, it wasn't easy for them. There was persecution. There was trial here happening. The Jews put this pressure on the church. But God reaffirmed the church in Philadelphia. Like he told them in, ver in, in verse 8, the doors were open that cannot be shut. He's letting them know, you are my people. You belong to me. And that door has been opened. And no lie can ever shut that. Jesus also assured them of his protection from those that pretended to be Jews. Trying to drive them away. He said in verse 9 that he will humble them even to the point of impoverishment. And that they will know that he loved the church of Philadelphia dearly. There was an assurance that Jesus brought back through the scriptures and through his word, letting them know, I am the one that walks among the lampstands. I am with you. So, in verse 10, he says, you've kept my word. He said the same thing in verse 8. You kept my word. I want you to know today, our obedience to the word of God trumps relationships. Our obedience to the word of God trumps your feelings. Our obedience to the word of God trumps, you ready for this one? Common sense. How many know that common sense is not common sense to everyone? Right? I mean, I see it here in Florida all the time. It is a turning signal. If you're turning right, right? If you're turning left, it's common sense. But to some people, it's not. But obedience to God trumps common sense. It trumps our own reasoning. 
It trumps the laws of physics. Jesus is sitting there doing a Bible study, has communion, and poof, vanishes right before them. Because the book of Revelation is about his majesty and his glory. We can't understand certain things. But one thing we can understand is that his word is true. It will remain forever. It has been written. It is our gift. It was given to us. And he's saying, keep it. (laughs) He's saying, keep my word. Keep my word. It is our greatest arsenal. And then he goes on to say that I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming upon the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. And so I know that we always talk about pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib, millennialists, right? We talk about all that. And I'm a mid-trib type of guy. That's what I believe. I think that we've been babied for a long time here in the West. And I believe that God is going to let us go through a little something-something before he takes us out. That's my belief. Um, and pastor is, is, is pre, right? And it's beautiful that we are able to sit down as brothers, discuss this, and we don't get caught up in that because we have a responsibility to store the body. We have a responsibility to preach this word in the purest form that we can with great reverence and conviction, understanding that we don't understand it all, right? But we got running water, Right? You got charming if you don't like Scots, right? You got, you, you, we're, this is what we have. I have an, I was telling the first service, I have this awesome toilet seat that I go like this and it goes, it doesn't go boom real loud, wake up everybody. No, it just, get on Amazon. Spoiled, spoiled. Half of the things that we call persecution are not persecution. They're making you uncomfortable, but it's not persecution. It doesn't even fall in the line, the category, the definition of what persecution really is. It's just we don't like it. So when you read that, he's going to keep you. Scholars have come to the conclusion that there are two meanings there. He's either going to keep you from. Or he's going to keep you through from. Do your homework. Amen. I'll leave that, I'll leave that alone. I don't want to start nothing. Amen. I just know, listen, if you're going to need MREs, I may have some extra for you. But I do, I do prep a little bit. Amen. But this is not, but listen, listen, I, I am a firm believer. Okay. If, if you prep, if you, if you, if you, if you organize, I'm a firm believer, don't, don't prep because you want a bigger bunker. Prep because you're setting a bigger table to invite people to sit at that table with you, right, and bring them with you. Amen? This is not I'm going to retreat into a bunker. This is I'm opening up the doors to receive my community. Amen? So Revelations 11. I'm running out of time here. <laughs> All right. If there's anything I learned from Pastor Nick, no, I'm just kidding. Pastor Chris. Verse 11, I'm coming soon. Look to your neighbor say, he's coming. I'm coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. In verse 11, he's telling him, you have a crown, hold on to it. Let no one take that from you. 
Know your identity, church. Know your identity. Know your identity in trial. What's your identity in the time of lack? What's your identity in the time of tribulation? What is your identity in the time of resistance? When you are outnumbered, you have an open door. You have authority. God has given you favor and resources. And God has given you a harvest through opportunity. Do not let anyone talk you out of God's love. Because we shall not be separated from the love of God. Nothing shall separate us from his love. This is our crown. You are his people, his bride. No one can take that from you. It's yours forever. Isn't that encouraging? So hold fast. Patient endurance. Hold fast. Hold fast. How do you hold fast? Because eternity is your hope. Because eternity is your drive. Because eternity is with the one forever, with Jesus forever. And then we dive a little bit into Revelations chapter 12. We could throw, throw up the picture of those pillars up there. So these are some pillars. This is what these guys look like. And you put the other one up. So, in verse 12, the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out, go out of it. And I will write on, never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven in my own new name. So this idea of pillars, these idea of pillars, a lot of references. Some of the references that I'm going to go through, you're going to be like, well, there's a couple more. Amen. Share those with me. I want to know them. I do. But for the sake of time, in verse 12, when it talks about pillars, Exodus 24.4, the 12 tribes were called pillars. Galatians chapter 2, verse 9, James Cephas and John were called pillars. So what am I saying? This is how God sees you as pillars. This is why it is important to have God's perspective. As we go through Revelation, we're going to come into some chapters where he says, come up here. Come up here. Come up here. There's a different perspective that God wants us to watch. That's why we, during the, during the NFL season and the NBA season, we are, we are, we're going crazy in front of the TV like, no, he was wide open. He was wide open, man. What were you looking at? He was looking at those five linemen that are trying to kill him and take his head off. But you have the privilege of being up here. Right? And watching the game from your house in your pajamas with wings and Tostitos, right? You have a different perspective. And God is saying, come up here. The perspective is that he sees you as a pillar. But wait, you have little power. <laughs> Make up your mind, God. Like, do I got little power? Or like, am I, am I a pillar? Like, which one is it? It's both. <laughs> it's both. You have little power. But you're a pillar that's tied into your identity. Hmm. There's resistance, there's persecution, there's opposition. But you're a pillar. Right? When it talked about, when it talked about Jesus 
being the door, right? He says he has the key, and whatever opens doesn't shut. Whatever shut opens. It's, 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 it's the identity of a new government that he's establishing. He's establishing a kingdom government where elephants and donkeys don't exist anymore. He's establishing a new government, a new authority, and he's saying, yes, you have little power, but you are a pillar. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, and the worship team could come up, please. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to, to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Pillars also represent what holds up the roof. The roof rested on the pillars. God's presence, God's glory rests on the pillars. Now make no mistake about it, you can't you, we can't bear that. That's too much. His glory is too heavy, too great, too mighty. But he says, but he says, you're my pillars. But what an awesome picture, right? That in the Old Testament, they had these temples, right? Where the glory of the Lord fell. And now the glory of the Lord comes upon us and within. And he calls us pillars. Pillars cannot be moved. That's why it says in the verse, and you will not go out of it. You will not go out of it. Pillars are permanent. Permanent. This is a gift of salvation that he's given you. You are permanent in him. So you're a pillar. I want to make mention that Philadelphia experienced a really, really heavy earthquake. And then for years, they had aftershocks. And people were going mad. They were going crazy. Because every time they would be inside of a structure and... You know, the ground starts shaking, they'll run out to the point that there was a lot of mental health happening there. People were in anguish and in distress. There was a lot of things happening there in that city because of those earthquakes. And isn't it amazing how God speaks to our reality? God spoke to them years ago about this reality. Yeah, I, I, I know the ground is shaken, but your pillars... And he still does that today to us. Still does that today to us. Speaks to us. So God will not move the Christian from his eternal temple. This is a picture of permanence and eternal security. It is God bringing a promise of security for those in uncertainty. God bringing a promise of security for those in chaos and instability. Heaven and earth may pass away, but his word remains forever. Governments, politics, mandates, all those things are in our present reality, but God has you. And remember to endure patiently. Because you're a pillar. Are you going to leave me too? Where else, like where else will we go, Lord? 
we're here. Permanent. We're pillars. God's dwelling place is with man. And nothing will separate us from that because we're pillars. So don't sell yourself short to sin and compromise. Don't. You're a pillar. So I want to close with this. In Revelations 12, he talks about he's going to give you three names. I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he shall go from it. And I will write on him the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven, and my own new name. And we're going to close with this right here. There's three names that he wants to write on his pillars. There's three names that he wants to write on you today. There's three names that he wants to write on us, on me today. I want you to know if you never had a tattoo, you're about to get one. And this one won't hurt. This one won't hurt. The first name is the name of my God. It's his name. It's that simple. It's his name. You know why? Because this is who we serve. Because he is ours and we are his. This is why we do this. He's our God. And so, yes, he is writing his name on us. It is an engraving. I want you to picture that in your imagination. An engraving of what's happening on you. Because you're a pillar and he's saying, God, on you. And the second name is the name of the city of my God. Revelations 21 and 22. When we dive into these chapters, you're going to see a clear picture of what that city, what that new Jerusalem looks like. Finally, my own new name. My own new name. You know what that is? I don't. It's his new name. And we don't know what that is. It's like I was telling the first service, I feel like a little kid for Christmas. What's in the box? What's in the box? What's in the box? Is it a Nintendo? Mario Brothers, Duck Hunt. Like, you know, I remember. I'm dating myself, right? It's a new name, guys. It's a new name that he is going to engrave in you. Revelations 19.12 says, His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one except, that no one knew except himself. He's the only one that knows his new name. Isn't that amazing? This is the journey that we're on. The revelation of Jesus. You are what you behold. What you behold is what you become. And when you open up this letter, when you open up this book, let Jesus pour out. Because he wants to write a new name on you. And the Bible says that when the angel came to Mary, he said you should call him Jesus. Which means Jehovah saves. But he completed that work. Right? Yes? Did he save you? So his new name is what? I don't know. But I can tell you this. 
He's coming back as a lion. He already completed his first work. Now he's coming back as a lion. Stand with me. We're going to pray. I pray that you're encouraged today. I pray that you are challenged today because there was no rebuke, no correction for this church. There was an affirmation and an exhortation. You are doing this well. I see you in the midst of. Continue to do this and don't let no one do that because this is who you are and you are mine. So walk in this. What an encouragement to a church that had little power. So today, I want you to be encouraged that he is with you and that he loves us. And that he's pleased with us. So Jesus, we pray that you will give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. What are you saying to us individually? What are you saying to us corporately? What are you saying to us? Search my heart, Lord. I want to burn. I want to burn, Lord. I want to burn. I want to burn like those men burn. Jesus, draw me closer. intimacy increase I thank you for what you're doing here in this little flock continue Lord to help us to be faithful we're searching ourselves we don't consider ourselves better than anybody Lord we just want to please you And so Lord today I pray touch every heart Lord in this room bring encouragement comfort Remove fear. I pray, Lord, pour out the wind of your spirit and minister to us. Have your way in Jesus' name. Thanks for visiting us today. Make sure to check us out online at www.bowdownchurch.com.